It's not quite winter yet, but it might as well be, amen? Second Thessalonians this morning, chapter 2, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Now that one uh, scripture song, I think I told this story before, but the one scripture song, uh, The Lord is My Light, that's out of Psalm 27, that's a good psalm, isn't it? Going here and back in uh, 2004 and five, I was running around uh, uh, climbing trees. Not just because it's what I did as a kid, but go up and take these trees down and climb up these trees. And at that time, if you remember, some of these big satellite outfits were big, like Prime Star or whatever that, whatever the fire the names of those things. And they'd set these, um, and you could get what hundred and some channels, thousand channels. But anyways. Uh, fellow go build a house and uh, put a satellite up there and he couldn't get any channels because the tops of the trees were blocking the view. So he'd call a monkey like me and I'd go run up top and top about six trees, you know, you know, do Tarzan tree to tree thing, you know. And anyways, I got up there uh, uh, and uh, remember I got about second out of four trees and up about 70 feet in the air. I mean, top and just let her fly. It was, it was a lot of fun. It really was. All of a sudden, I got top of that tree, and a storm rolled in like now, and there was no getting down. I just buckled in and strapped in, and I bet you I recited that psalm about 100 times for the next 10 minutes up there, in the top. and I'm riding that thing like a bull, and it's, the lightning's crashing, and I'm like, the Lord is my light, my salvation. I confessed every sin I'd done in the last 30 years, <laughs> twice, <laughs> but Second Thessalonians. That psalm became very, very personal to me. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2. All right, with that uh, comedic entrance, uh, Brother Dave, would you ask the Lord's blessing in the teaching and preaching this morning? Amen. All right, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll just start at verse 1, read down to verse 3. The Bible says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him. Of course, what we told you in that passage, you have the second advent, the first part, the, the rapture of the church is the second part, and it, it is out of order, and the Lord does that so you and I will study. Amen. Uh, chronology in the Bible is often backwards, and the more you read your Bible, you'll see that thing. He puts those things in there, two reasons, I believe. First of all, I believe he does it so you'll truly study to show thyself approved unto God. That's what the Bible says. Amen. You have a supernatural book written by uh, the Holy Ghost of God himself, and uh, what has to happen to that thing for you to be able to even perceive it the way you can in your human form is you've got to study it. And if you don't study it, you're not going to be able to show yourself approved unto God. It requires study. It requires work. It requires what the old timers would say is sweat equity. 
Amen. Your Christianity ought to make you sweat every once in a while. Ought to make you a little bit uncomfortable. And studying the Bible is one of those ways where it's just not, you know, Mary had a little lamb, his fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. It's something you've got to put some time into. Amen. You've got to clear the schedule. You've got to sit down. You've got to, uh, and it's easier to go out and work uh, physically than it is to sit down and study spiritual matter. What uh, Paul say? The uh, much study is weariness of the flesh. Or Solomon say that. Ain't that the truth? I can go out there and split wood and cut wood and act like whatever, you know, Paul Bunyan or the ox himself and come in and just, whew. But you sit down for three hours and study, you slap exhausted. <laughs> so he does that so you learn to study. Amen. Christian ought to study. Not only that, I believe the Lord puts that in there to take uh, people, scholars, Bible correctors, those who are critical of God's words and give them a place where they can destroy themselves. You say, well, a loving God, but you sure would do that. Remember, you, what you get out of this book is only determined by how you approach it. If you approach it with the right attitude, then you're going to learn. If you approach it with looking for an alibi to sin, then he'll give you an alibi to sin. That's the craziest book. I tell you what, I've never picked up a Louis L'Amour book and read it more one way than the way it ends. But you get that Bible, and you might be just a little bit sideways on the Lord, and next thing you know, you'll have this, this uh, gnawing thought in the back of your head. Does that Bible really say I can do that? Does that Bible really? What it is, is it was your attitude when you, wrote, you read it. All right, not only that, look at verse 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letters as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. A couple things here. The day of Christ is as it pertains to the believer. It is not the day of the Lord, as Brother Schofield uh, makes a reference to in his reference Bible, even though it is a wonderful, fantastic reference Bible, uh, it is not the day of the Lord. The day of Christ and the day of the Lord, as we discussed and showed you, they're two different things. The day of Christ is for the believer. It encompasses the rapture of the church. The day of Christ encompasses the judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The day of the Lord is for the Jews, the nations, and it's regarding the judgment of God on this earth. So they're different. And you get to verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. And we spent some time on that. And Christians are deceived in these last days, aren't they? There's a lot of things that throw a Christian off. And it's not all politics and it's not all, you know, the price of gas or the price of tea in China or, or the rain in Spain, as they would say. But there's a lot of things that deceive a Christian in these last days. And Paul's writing to this church because they're being deceived by people. He says, let no man deceive you by any means for that day. Of course, that's the day of Christ. Talking about when we get out of here. The rapture. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Uh, all right, so we left off on this thing. And we're talking about how the devil is a great counterfeit of everything that the Lord does. The man of sin, we took, uh, we took a good hour and we showed you through the scriptures who the man of sin was. And the man of sin, the son of perdition, is Judas Iscariot. And Judas Iscariot, he goes into his own place. He betrays the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 70, Have I not chosen uh, 12 of you and one of you is a devil? So Judas Iscariot was of the devil. And when he got done doing his thing there, he went back to his own place. We showed you from the book of Revelation chapter 19. <laughs> Uh, 11, 11, uh, how he goes back to the bottomless pit, and he's going to come back again, all right? But the biggest thing we need to, to look at is here is that what a great counterfeiter, the man of sin, the son of perdition is, 
how great counterfeit the devil is to the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever stop and think that the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the Lion of the tribe of Judah? Remember that? Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. I mean, amen. Thank God. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But you know what that devil is? He walketh about as a roaring lion. He's a counterfeiter. He's an imitator. Everything Jesus Christ is, the devil tries to be it. And he'll give you a counterfeit representation. And what you're going to find out, you find out, we looked at Scripture last week, that there's the Lord's Christ, and then the devil has a Christ. And that's the son of perdition. The Lord had a son. That's Jesus Christ. And the devil has a son. That's the man of sin. That's the son of perdition. All right. And uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about who Jesus Christ is in this world. And like we said last week, a lot of people get to thinking that Jesus Christ is some kind of half effeminate, kind of queer, swishy little fellow walking around in sandals with a deep baritone voice just doing wonderful things throughout the land of Israel. That's not Jesus Christ. Think about it. His stepdaddy was a carpenter. Jesus wasn't a weak man. You ever stop and realize that Jesus Christ, he went in and cleaned out, house, cleaned out the temple twice. One time he went in, he went in there and threw the tables over. If he was some little effeminate kind of, you know, stop it kind of fellow there, that one place in Scripture says he braided a whip. And if he was uh, just a weakling, an effeminate kind of character, they'd have taken the whip out of his hand, they'd have whipped him with it. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ was a man's man. I mean, where did he stay? Where did he hide his stuff? He told, uh, he told the, uh, the crowds around him, he said, Foxes have holes and birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man hath not a place to lay his head. I mean, he was a man's man. I surely was an American. You know, Super 8, we'll leave the light on for you. Holiday Inn, save me a cinnamon roll. That's the Christianity you're dealing with. Come on. If some of you wouldn't have had your coffee this morning, you'd have lost your salvation, even though you can't. <laughs> and then you get home, if the Wi-Fi goes out, you're off the rails. I'm just saying the idea about who Jesus Christ is is just a misconception. I mean, what kind of person was Jesus Christ? Where did he hide? Where did he keep his stuff? He had no savings. He had no withholdings. He had no real estate. He had no property. He had no uh, bus routes. We doing all right this morning? I'm just trying to get us to think for a minute maybe who Jesus Christ really is. And you get a real good idea who the Lord Jesus Christ is by the fact that when he comes back, he comes back on a white horse, and he comes back killing people. They're starting to think the creator of the entire world and universe was on this earth for just a real short period of time. And he came, he came, when he came in, he came in like a lamb, didn't he? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He came back, and he was docile, but he was a man's man. When he comes back the next time, he comes back as a lion. As the old preacher said, boy, is he mad. Well, he lived on the road. He lived out in the woods. He was a carpenter. And the Antichrist is a real counterfeit of Jesus Christ, real counterfeit. And I want to give you just a couple things this morning. I want to give you about 14 different things that got written down here. Uh, about 14. I mean, real quick, you know, nothing <laughs> nothing too heavy. You know? you, okay, all right. <laughs> Go blue, you know. And uh, I want to give you some contrast between the Antichrist and Jesus Christ. 
and the Antichrist, the, uh, the devil, he's a great counterfeiter. Uh, take your Bible, go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 38. And you can go ahead and grab Revelation chapter 11 and 7. I would like to take just a few minutes here this morning and flip back and forth and show you the great counterfeit that the Antichrist is of Jesus Christ. There in John chapter 6 and verse 38, first of all, here's the contrast. Jesus Christ is from above, and the Antichrist, he ascends from the pit. Jesus Christ is from above, and the Antichrist ascends from the pit. All right? And these are contrasts. John 6, 38, the Bible says, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, For I came down from heaven. But you know that Antichrist, you know where he comes from? That's Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. The Bible says, And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So Jesus Christ, he comes from above. And the Antichrist, he ascends from the pit. He ascends from below. You see that? Let me give you another one. John chapter 5, verse 43. John chapter 5, verse 43. And uh, that'd be the, you're going to find them in the same verse. Just one verse there to look at. John chapter 5, verse 43. These are contrasts. Contrasts. John chapter 5, verse 43. Uh, the contrast here is this. Christ came in his Father's name, but when the Antichrist comes, he's going to come in his own name. I'll say it again. Jesus Christ, when he came, he came in his Father's name, but when the Antichrist comes to this world, he's going to come in his own name. John 5, 43, he says, I'm come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not, right? John 1, 12, he came into his own, and his own received him not. All right, but he came in his father's name, and verse 43 says, If another shall come in his own name, he's talking about the Antichrist there in John chapter 5, verse 43, If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. So Jesus Christ comes in the name of his father, but when that Antichrist comes, he comes in his own name, and they receive him. Everybody, everybody thinks he's God. Let me give you this next one here. Uh, you got a couple of verses here, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. I know some of this is what they call work, work, uh, but it's part of studying to show thyself approved unto God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, and you want to contrast that one with 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. <clears throat> now, here we got uh, in Philippians 2, 8, you find out that Jesus Christ, he humbles himself. But when the Antichrist gets here, the Antichrist exalts himself. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the humbleness and humility of Jesus Christ. But when the Antichrist gets here, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You know one of the most char characteristically traits of the Antichrist or the devil is? Always exalting himself. You know, that's characteristic of our generation, isn't it? Look at me. Hey, 
hey, pay attention to me. I got something to say. Here, take my picture. Have you ever seen uh, so many people in your entire life that are craving to be in a picture? You know, it, we used to laugh because some people, uh, we would say they're naturally photogenic, right? And they seem to like, you know, look good, whatever that means. And some people, I think these are the people that actually have sense. They don't like having their picture taken. Why? Well, it's kind of vain if you stop and think about it. I'm not talking about creating memories with the family, you know, and this is Aunt Maud when she was 300 years old, you know, and this is, you know, Cousin Bobby, you know, before he got hit by a bus. You know, all this stuff is all right. But the whole idea that you now have to have albums, right? When I was a kid, uh, there was a box full of pictures, and the kids got around that box. They're like, oh, who's this? And, you know, they're going, I have no idea. Your mother must be taking pictures that day, you know. And you got pictures of everyone's thumb, right? But now you just delete it. You say, what is that? That's the exalted generation, lovers of own self. That's, that's, that's typical of the Antichrist. He exalts himself in 2 Thessalonians 2.4. This isn't too difficult, is it? I'm just showing you where we're heading. And unless the Lord comes back soon, it's only going to get worse. And you and I aren't going to get any better for it. Amen. And our children and our grandchildren, they're not going to be any better for it. If this is the selfie generation, what in the fire is, is my grandkids' generation going to be? <laughs> I mean, that's a disturbing thought. All right, let me give you the number four here. I'll uh, give you a couple verses here. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3. Isaiah 53 and verse 3. Noticeable differences between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. Isaiah 53, 3. And Revelation 13, 3 to 4. Revelation 13, 3 to 4. I'm going to give you one, one more under... Uh, This one here, Luke chapter 23, it's just a comparative reference. I believe that's 18 there. There you go. But uh, this one here, number four, uh, Jesus Christ is despised, but the Antichrist is admired. You see that? The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 3, he is despised and rejected of men. You know, when Jesus Christ came, they want nothing to do with him. He's despised. They hated him. The Bible says they delivered him up for envy's sake. You know why they were mad at him? You know why they wanted to kill him? Because he could draw the crowds. He was the real deal. And they couldn't. They were religious fakers. You know what makes Christians mad? God blessing somebody else, the breath of God and some other Christian, and someone gets torqued about it. You know how God deals with you? You know how God stirs you up? He'll stir you up through jealousy. That's all through the Bible. That's how he dealt with his own people, the Jews. He says, all right, you don't want me, I'll go to the Gentiles. You know what it made the Jews? Jealous. And everywhere Paul goes, once he decides to go to the Gentiles, I know he always tried to preach to the Jews, everywhere he preached to the Gentiles, the Jews got jealous and tried to kill him, tried to run him out of town. But when Jesus Christ came to this earth, you know what he was? He was despised. And let me remind you what you already know, that if you take the Lord Jesus Christ into your workplace, sooner or later they'll despise you too. 
And if you take Jesus Christ into the community, they might tolerate you, they might respect you, and they might put up with you, but they're going to despise you. Why? Jesus Christ was despised, Isaiah 53, 3. Luke chapter 23, verse 18, that has to do with Barabbas. And it says in verse 18, they cried out, uh, cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, or release unto us Barabbas. Imagine that, a man who'd never done anything wrong. The Bible says neither was guile found in his mouth. The Bible says, uh, the witness of Scripture says he went about doing good. The man who was gracious, who forgave adulterers, who even forgave the rotten Pharisees, they despised him. All right, but that Antichrist, when he comes, uh, Revelation 13, 3 to 4, and I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Ooh, oh, this tremendous man with the mighty power of God. Like Penn and Teller on steroids, man. And they worshiped the dragon. Why? Because he healed himself. Pfft. Really? That's all it takes to get people to worship you. All you got to do is heal yourself. But that's what he does. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? I'm just saying uh, there's a difference. The devil's a great counterfeiter of Jesus Christ, but when he comes, Jesus Christ is despised. And when Antichrist comes, everybody wants him. Everybody loves him. Everybody admires him. Amen. Does that now stop and maybe give you a little inkling idea that maybe you're on the right track with your salvation? Because a lot of people don't want it. You think maybe you're worshiping the right Lord? Because when you start giving it to other people, they don't want nothing to do with it. And if everywhere you went and you talked about Jesus Christ, oh, yes, please, please give me Jesus. Maybe you got the wrong Jesus. Because when he came, he was despised. All right, let me give you another one. All right, now, uh, this one, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Notable differences in the scriptures between the Antichrist and Jesus Christ. All right. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. And how about uh, Revelation 19, 20? Revelation 19, 20. Now, this one here. Uh, when Jesus Christ uh, eventually... Uh, he said, Christ is exalted, but the Antichrist is uh, cast down to hell. He's cast down to hell. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. Amen? That's one of the reasons you ought to reverence the name of Jesus. Now be careful with the name of Jesus. You know, uh, people don't mind God. People don't mind hearing the word the Lord. But you know what bothers people? The word Jesus Christ. Why? It's the name above all names. It's the name above every name. Amen. You can say God in a, a NASCAR event. You can say, I, I know I heard some of them say Jesus, not too many, but every once in a while you'll get some spirit-filled charismatic up there and he'll say the name of Jesus or something like that. That's funny right there. Anyways, but most of them, they just get up there, oh God, bless these cars as they go 200 miles an hour. They've got a sense in their head, but keep them safe, you know, and all that stuff. But the name that's above every name is Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. And Christ is exalted. But if you look at Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 19, the Bible says in verse 20, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, uh, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast. 
And them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. All right, so the end of the Antichrist, the end of the beast, and the end of Satan himself, they're going to be cast down into burning hell fire forever and ever. But the notable difference is Jesus Christ is exalted. He's got a name above all names. I'll give you one more. You know that passage, was it in Isaiah 14? Talks about Lucifer, talks about Satan. Isaiah 14, 14 to 15. He's uh, telling everybody what he's going to do. And uh, he says in Isaiah 14, 14 and 15, I'll ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the Most High. And then he says in 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So Jesus Christ is exalted. And the Antichrist, he's brought down, cast into hell fire. All right, let me give you another one here. John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 38. Notable differences. These are contrast. And that's how you learn. You know how you learn? You learn by two thi- uh, three things. You learn, by, uh, you learn by contrast. You learn what's different about a thing. Uh, you learn by similarities, don't you? And then the way that you uh, memorize the subject matter proficiently is what? Repetition. You might learn a number of things today uh, that is contrasting between Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. Amen? But if you don't go and repeat the matter, you won't learn it. So now that's on you. <laughs> Amen. Repetition. Uh, one feller said uh, practice makes perfect. But if you're not practicing the right thing, it ain't going to be perfect. So repetition is what makes that thing stick. So you got John 6:38 on one end, and you got Daniel chapter 11 on the other end. Contrast. Now here's the contrast. All right, this one is this. Jesus Christ, when he came, he came to do his Father's will. Amen? But when the Antichrist comes, he comes to do his own will. There's the difference. John chapter 6, verse 38. The Bible says, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. How about that? Jesus Christ, when he came down here, he came to do the will of the Father. And in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, the Bible says, And the king shall do according to his own will. See that? That Antichrist sets himself up as a king. And you're going to find out later, he sits right down, uh, he sits right down uh, between the cherubims. You know why? We still awake this morning. I know we're getting out there. The Antichrist goes and sits down between the cherubims there because that's where he used to sit between Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. So he goes back and he takes his place where he said in Isaiah 14, I will, I will, I will. And the Lord said, you won't, you won't, you won't. (laughs) He gets back up there and gets there and sits down between the cherubims and he rules just like he ruled before. Mm. So he came to do his father's will and the Antichrist comes to do his own will. Let me give you this one. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 on one end. Contrast, Luke 19.10. And on the other side of that uh, reference, you've got uh, Daniel 8.24. Daniel 8.24, contrast between Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. Great way to learn your Bible. All right, the Bible says in Luke, uh, no, where are we at? Luke, did I say Luke 19.10? Thank you. 
All right, now here's the, the difference. Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, he came to save. But when the Antichrist comes, he comes to destroy. All right, the Bible says, uh, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. By the way, all your new Bibles take that verse out. Look at that verse. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You know what is, to me, is exciting about that verse? This, you might think I'm just, just a nerd for thinking this. Every word in that verse is one syllable. And everyone says that things are too hard to understand. Some of you are going, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you talk about the simplicity of salvation, the simplicity of how Jesus Christ uh, he is and how he loved mankind. Son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. One syllable, every word there. Now you go ahead and try to formulate a sentence, you know, with every word being one syllable. The cat went to the moon. Off my foot. There you go. All right. So here's the contrast. Christ came to save. The Antichrist comes to destroy. Look at Daniel 8.24 here. Now here's the part about the Antichrist being... That was still one syllable, wasn't it? Yeah. And then to the moon, Alice. <clears throat> Daniel 8, 24, the Bible says, And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully. Antichrist comes to destroy. And shall prosper and practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. Not only that, but he's coming to destroy the people of Israel. He's coming to destroy God's people. And an even more sinister thing than that, not only does it destroy them, but they practice cannibalistic rituals in the tribulation. Sick, man. And that's the level of violence that's going on. That's why this thing keeps ramping up. That's why all your TV shows, your, what is it, NCIS, and, you know, the, the, you know, the John the Baptist of these shows was, uh, what, Law and Order? Boom. You know, all that stuff and all. You know, next thing, all these crimes, they're more deviant, they're more sinister, and, and they got crimes where people are severing body, right? Severing body parts and hiding them in different places, and, and in the tribulation, they're practicing cannibalism. That's Isaiah 66. And you find out in the book of Psalms that the people of God, they're eaten like a teal tree. That's a cannibalistic ritual. That's the abomination of desolation. But uh, Jesus Christ came to save. The Antichrist comes to destroy. Let's look at this one. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, but the Antichrist is the idle shepherd. And you find that thing uh, in John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And that thing is contrasted with uh, Zechariah oh, 11. Zechariah 11, 16 to 17. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. The Bible says, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Ain't that something? Now, if you're a Mohammedan, if you're a Muslim, if you're a part of the Islamic, you know, whatever that uh, brotherhood stuff, you know what you do? Your God has you go kill everybody. I read in the Bible, if my God wants you dead, he just kills you himself. But if you're a Mohammedan, if you're a Muslim, if you're messed up, and you're a fornicating pedophile, uh, then you go around killing everybody else. 
True story. All right, now uh, the Antichrist, he's the idol shepherd, I-D-O-L. That's evil. Zechariah eleven sixteen and 17, that's the Antichrist. He says, for lo, I'll raise up a shepherd. You see the similarity? They're both shepherds. But the contrast is that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He giveth his life for the sheep, but here I'll raise up a shepherd in land which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young, or nor heal that is broken, nor feed that standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat. There's your cannibalistic rituals, you see it? He shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. There it is. It's all indicative of that uh, Antichrist. He's the idle shepherd. He's the evil shepherd. But Jesus Christ, he's the good shepherd. Let me give you another one here. We're doing all right this morning. I just thought you need to see this in Scripture because there's a great similarity, but yet at the same time there's a great contrast. All right, now look at this, John chapter 15, verse 1. John 15, verse 1 in one hand. And then uh, Revelation 14, 18 in the other hand. All right, now this one here, uh, Jesus Christ is the true vine. He's the true vine. John chapter 15, verse 1, the Bible says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. All right, so if Jesus Christ is the true vine, you can better believe that the Antichrist is going to be uh, some type of false vine, isn't he? And uh, the Antichrist is the vine of the earth. That's Revelation 14, 18. The Bible says, And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. That's the judgment of God on the people, but it's led by the Antichrist. So Jesus Christ being the true vine, right? Remember over in Deut was it Deuteronomy, he talks about their vine is a Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, their vine is the, uh, what is it, the venom of asp or something like that. Well, Jesus Christ, he's the true vine, the true vine. I'll give you another one. Jesus Christ, he's the truth. Where the Antichrist, he's a lie. And that's, of course, John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But the Antichrist, that, that sucker's a lie. And that's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. You know, some people, they pride themselves for being, uh, uh, no one's going to trick me, no one's going to fool me. You know, some guys are like that. I can sniff a phony a mile away, they say, or something like that, and ain't nobody going to get me. And so they come home and they say, yeah, honey, I went there and I, I'll tell you about the deal that I got here today on this tool or this gun or whatever, this car. And the salesman's just laughing all the way. <laughs> just got you, man. <laughs> And, uh, but here it is, uh, Jesus Christ is the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man will come to the Father but by me. But the Antichrist is a lie. 2 Thessalonians 2.11, For this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And that lie is coming from the Antichrist. And you know what he's saying? Look unto me and be saved. I'm the answer. I'm God. Worship me. I'll stop all wars, Right? You know what this country wants right now? They want all the benefits of the millennial reign without Jesus Christ. That's what this world wants. They want peace. They want harmony. They want four growing seasons. They want a four-day weekend. 
They want to lay around the house and feast and drink and get drunk and have no consequences for it. Uh, they want to have uh, reprobate minds and they want to not check their thoughts. Well, let me tell you what, you can only do that in the millennium because the curse then comes off the earth. And when the curse is off the earth, you can't even make booze. It's going to put Bush out of business during the millennium. But what? You're something think about that? If Jesus Christ, when he steps on the earth, he takes the curse out, they can't, they can't brew booze anymore. It would be a dry country, amen? <laughs> All right, <clears throat> but uh, Jesus Christ is the truth, Antichrist is a lie. How about this one? Jesus Christ, he's the holy one. Jesus Christ is the holy one, we're the Antichrist, he's the wicked one. All right, that's Mark chapter... Uh, I have my show notes here. Mark chapter 1. I thought we'd get through these here in a couple of minutes. I should have known better. Mark 124. And uh, I'll give you a couple over here. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. With a comparative reference here of 1 John 3.12. All right, now look at Mark chapter 124. All right, the Bible says, saying, uh, let us alone. Uh, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? Is that one or five? I got that wrong, don't I? Is it one? Okay. Yep, 124, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Isn't that something the devils know who Jesus Christ is? And most Christians don't even know who the Lord is. You ever stop and think that the devils know when the Lord shows up? But yet, you could have a church full of people and a lot of Christians, and the Spirit of God would breathe by, and he'd pass by, and a bunch of Christians like, something wrong, why are they crying? Well, you didn't realize that the Lord just passed by? Oh, he did? But the devils know when he passed by. <laughs> Isn't that wild? And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says, And then shall that wicked, you see that? Capital W, personification. That's a person. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy the brightness of his coming. The Antichrist is that wicked one. Let me show you that comparative one. Look at John, 1 John 3, 12. This is a mind blower. This will blow your theology right out the room. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. You know, there's an old Catholic doctrine out there. You all might be familiar with it, but as uh, they say, uh, I've heard it, that it was said that the original sin was adultery. You ever hear that? Well, look at this. First John chapter 3. I wonder where they got it. First John chapter 3, verse 12. Not as Cain. Say, who's Cain? Well, that's Adam and Eve's son, right? But you know what Cain is? He's a type and picture of the Antichrist. All right, now look at this. Not as Cain, who is of that... Now, wait a minute. <laughs> what you talking about, Lewis? <laughs> I thought Eve was his mother. Well, she was. You say, what are you saying? I'm just saying I believe the Bible. Explain it. I, I don't think I can explain it. You've ever heard of someone uh, 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 having twins with two different fathers? I'm not trying to teach a new doctrine, but you read your Bible. Does it say Cain was of that wicked one? Well, it's figurative. Oh, okay. I, I just, when I read my Bible, I learn to take it at face value unless you can't. 
And you read over there in Genesis, and it said his brother was bore after him. Maybe so, maybe not. Maybe it is figurative. Maybe the devil was his daddy. Maybe the beguiling and deceiving and the... I'm, may, I'm surmising. I'm not teaching you a new doctrine. Maybe the beguiling and the deceiving was a little bit more than, hey, beautiful, how are you? Right? Okay. Let me give you this one. In trouble, check. <clears throat> Isaiah 53.3. 3. <laughs> All right, let me give you this one. Isaiah 53.3. You know, I'd rather go to the judgment seat of Christ and the Lord go, Evans, you are an idiot. But I'm glad you were thinking. And you know what? You're completely wrong, and you missed it, and you blew it here. But you know what? You were studying, and you didn't correct it, and you didn't enforce it. You didn't make it dogmatic, but you saw that maybe there was more than there was. Maybe I'm wrong. Isaiah 53, 3, and how about 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and we'll stop right here. A couple more to finish here tonight. There's a great contrast between Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. And the reason we're covering is because we're here at the passage about the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition. It's important that you know this and be able to locate him in the scriptures. All right. <clears throat> Christ is the man of sorrows. Christ is the man of sorrows. But the Antichrist, he's the man of sin. He's the man of sin. Isaiah 53, 3, the Bible says he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteem him not. Can you take some hope uh, this morning that Jesus Christ, when he came, he was acquainted with grief. He was a man of sorrows. So the sorrows that you go through, they're but for a moment. And Jesus Christ, he also suffered. And he gave us an example. And that pattern of suffering was sent through Paul. But not only that, but the Antichrist, he's the man of sin. Let no man deceive you by any means. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed. Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows. The Antichrist, the man of sin. We'll stop right there.